Good evening. I have a complaint. Why is it every time, or both times, I get stuck with, I mean, I get the privilege of introducing our speaker. They show up about four or five minutes before they're supposed to speak. That happened with uh, uh, Drake Jenkins, and now it's happened with Joey. But we can pick on Joey. He's kind of sort of one of us. I don't know if you think Scripture will have dual membership or not, but we kind of think they have dual membership. He preaches at Lowe's. He also works for the Highway Department, Kentucky Highway Department. Uh, if you got any potholes you need fixed or what, no. He's over, he does the equipment, and he's kind of over the guys that work on their equipment and everything. But he preaches at Lowe's, but they're here a lot, he and his family. And we're, they're involved in Central a lot. They're just kind of our family. And we're looking forward to hearing Joey this evening. So let's have a word of prayer real quickly, and I'll turn it over to him. Father, thank you for loving us, for being our Father. Thank you for the opportunity to study your word. Thank you for joy in his life and his devotion to your word. Help us tonight to listen to what he has to say, to put it to use in our lives. Help us to be better people and glorify you more. Forgive us where we fail, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good evening, church. It is great to be here with you all. I appreciate Adam and all the elders, Noah, asking me to be part of this series. Uh, what a great opportunity. Anytime we get to study God's Word together, that is a blessing. That's when we can say amen, right, church? When looking over this topic, where is God? Number one, the, the back, backdrop theme for the whole series, when I praise Him. I was telling Jim just before coming up, I said, I, I guess I didn't realize how big of a, of a backdrop that actually would be. When, when studying and preparing and, and thinking about getting ready and, and how, what direction do we want to take this? Do we want to talk about singing? Do we want to talk about prayer life? And all that is part of praise, right? So I, I didn't get you a PowerPoint put together and I apologize for that. So I pray you'll just take notes. And I want you to know right now up front, I'm not hiding anything from my notes. If you want a copy of them, I didn't print out copies here, but I can certainly get you a printed copy later because you're kind of going to get a lot of Scripture tonight. So I pray you'll at least try to jot some of the Scripture down and, and maybe you can go back and visit that and, and study what I've studied. So as far as the text goes, I have several coming from the Psalms. I want you to take note of Psalm 111, those first four verses. I want you to take note of Psalm 145, those first seven verses. Psalm 148, 14 verses. And then I'm going to get you into the New Testament. Because we're New Testament Christians, right? So we have to grow and teach from the New Testament as well as learn from the Old. So in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, and then in Acts chapter 3, the first 11 verses. That's going to be some backdrop. So where is God? That's really a question, right? That's a question you've got to look at every week that you've had a speaker here on this, on this series. Where is God? Where is God when I talk to God? I want you to think about that question for just a moment as we get ready. Where is God when I talk to God? I talk to God to take away my pride and God said no. He said it was not for Him to take away, but for me to give up. I talked to God and I asked God to make my disabled child whole. God said, no. Her spirit is whole. 
our body is only temporary. I talked to God and I asked Him to grant me patience. And God said no. He said that patience is a byproduct of tribulation. It isn't granted. It's earned. I talked to God and asked Him to give me happiness. And God said no. He said He gives blessings. Happiness is up to me. I asked God, I talked to God, and I asked God to spare me of the pain that I'm in. And God said no. He said that suffering draws you apart from the worldly cares and brings you closer to me. I talked to God and asked Him to allow my spirit to grow. And God said no. He said that I must grow my own spirit. And, and, but what He will do, He will prune me and make me nurtured to where I can grow better. Finally, I asked God on my last conversation, I talked to God and I asked God to help me love others as much as He loves me. And He said, ah, you finally got it. You finally got it. What this lesson, what I want you to do, what I want us to do, I want us to observe some fundamental elements of the word praise. So with that, with that word, I'm scared to say if you Google that word later what you would see because some places have a whole different outlook on their praise and how we would address it here tonight. So we can observe that the first century church in which we are trying to act like and trying to be like, we're trying to do what they did in the first century, right? I want you to go on and be turning in your Bibles in the New Testament first to Acts chapter 2. I don't know how many times I've read over those verses that I gave you uh, to take note of in Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 42. I want us to read through that. I want you to see that. I want you to take a few notes, see if anything sticks out to you. But in verse 42, and they continued steadfast in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking bread and in prayer. Then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who were baptized were, were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate with their food with gladness and simplicity of the heart. Look at verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. I've probably most of the time I read that verse I have always liked to focus on the last part of that verse. And I would guess probably most of you sitting in here know that part of the verse, don't you? Preachers, I know if you've preached this, you've quoted that verse, right? And the Lord added to those because that's your backbone for the rest of Acts chapter 2. Right? Sure it is. But did you notice what he said in the first part of that verse? And I know it wasn't broken into verses whenever, whenever this was all quoted. That's a, if you were taking detailed notes just then, that, that's the seventh detail there in verse 47. We discover this about the first century church that they were doing what? They were praising God, church. They were praising God. To what, to what is the text referring to when it says that the church was praising God? What are they talking about? 
The Greek term there simply means to, to praise, which we would think that's where we get the idea from the word. It also means to extol. Some translations have that in, in the terms there. And if you're wondering what does extol mean, that means to, to praise enthusiastically, right? That that's, means to have some zeal about your praise. To sing praises in honor to God. Those are what your Greek text would tell you those words mean or that word means in our language today. So we're talking about worshiping God and declaring the glory through the spoken word and in particularly here in song. If you were to turn to Luke, you don't have to, but you know the setting in Luke chapter 2. This is when the angelic multitude uh, witnessed the birth of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 13, that's the praise they were having then. And in Acts chapter 2 and verse 20, when those shepherds arrived there seeing the babe in the manger, that's the type of praise they were having there. And in Acts, Luke chapter 17, when the ten lepers, when one of them returned to praise Jesus, that's the praise that that leper had when he returned to praise Jesus. And in Acts chapter 3 and verses 8 and verses 9, when there was a blind man who was cured, that's the praise that he had. It is involuntary. And it is a necessary reaction. The goodness, experiencing the goodness and the majesty of God. And what do you do when you learn about praising God from the first century church? We want to be like them, right? Don't we want to be like them? Sure we do. So here's some things we have to do. Number one, the first thing we have to do when we're praising God is prioritize. Now you're in Acts chapter 2. So it is worth noting that, that according to verse 46 and 47, praising God took place among the early Christians day by day. I want you to understand that. Day by day this was taking place. So based on the context of that passage right there, their praise of God, it appears to be connected both to their daily participation in worship at the temple as well as their daily fellowship with one another in the homes in which they were going to while they were breaking bread. So in other words, what that's saying, praising God filled every aspect of their life. What does that mean? It means this consistent involvement in praising God appears to be, according to the context, the first century expectation of this author here. And I think about what our Hebrew writer would tell us in chapter 13 over in verse 15. He says, continually offering up a sacrifice of praise. What does that mean? When you continually do something, what are you, you're getting in the habit of it, right? You're doing it all of the time, right? In order to make something work, you're doing something all the time. So the Hebrew author, he describes the practice of praising God is something that we need to be doing continually. So that means prioritize. I'm not going to ask you, but I'm going to say we all fail at this. I said we. I'm including myself. 
And you may be going, we all fail at what, preacher? We all fail at prioritizing and putting God first day by day. What do I mean? Do I mean that I'm not, me as, here I am a preacher and I'm a human being, right? There's, There's two parts of me. One, I'm a Christian, preacher, human being. Does that mean just I start my day in prayer, I start my daily devotion, and then I go to to work? Just because I start my day in prayer and I do a daily devotional and I read the Scripture, does that mean I'm actually prioritizing? Not necessarily. Can we not do those things and not, not mean a lot to us? What about when you're asked something else? What about when you're asked, hey, we've got this scheduled on Wednesday evening. If prioritizing wasn't an issue with the first century church, elders wouldn't be sitting in meetings praying about people to be here in attendance. Is that right? I'm not just referring to, don't don't misunderstand, I'm not just referring to the central congregation. I'm talking about us in the whole. Do we have people miss? Yeah. Does that mean they're misprioritizing? That could mean there's some other reason. But I'm saying we fail at prioritizing. Not all the time. I'm not saying we do it all the time. Don't stone me at the back door because I said that. Because number one, I included myself. There is a description here that we need to be doing this continually. Maybe the first century Christians who were primarily Jewish Christians, right? Okay, they understood this expectation very well because they grew up quoting passages like Psalm 145 in verse 2. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. When you're taught that all of your life every day and you hear that and you quote that every day of your life, guess what? It's going to mean something to you. It's going to mean something to you. And then when you look at 113, Psalm 113 and verse 3, the rising of the sun to the setting, the name is the, the Lord is to be praised. All day long they have in their mind they need to be praising God. This is the Jewish Christians. Same Jewish Christians that hung Jesus Christ, so they obviously missed the mark on some things. Okay? So the lesson here to be learned from our spiritual ancestors is that we should not be limiting our praise to just a few hours during the week, during the assembly for an organized worship or an organized assembly like we have right here tonight. We shouldn't just limit it to that, should we? Who said we had to? Who who said we had to? We should make praising God a permanent fixture in the everyday fabric of our lives. Paul said this over in Colossians 3 and verse 17 when he wrote, whatever you do in word or do, do everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Whatever we do, he said what? Ever we do in word and deed. So I believe that the early church definitely understood that praising God should be prioritized so they engaged in it continually. I think they understood that part. But there's another thing that we can learn from this. That praising God, listen, I said praising God is just not just about me or self. I should say self, I don't mean me, just Joey. Okay, so who benefits? 
Who benefits from my praise, church? I want you to think about that. Number one, first and foremost, the one who should benefit from my praise should be God, right? So in Ephesians chapter 5, in verses 17 through 19, Paul instructed the church in Ephesus there to speak, what? He said to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody. How? In your heart, that's right, in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who is it for? It's not for me. The, the passage that Paul is using instructs us to sing, to make melody, how? In our hearts, to God, through Jesus. That's what Paul told the church there, and he's telling you and us that as well. And his instruction there from Paul is this, God benefits from our praise. So the purpose, the purpose of our praise is to offer Him the gratitude, to express the gratitude toward God, right? And then praising God is something to which the church we should be doing, and we should be very devoted to doing that. That way, and we should be devoted to doing it properly, not improperly. And we should be continually asking thanks to God, right? Offering thanks to God. And another thing, another one that benefits. What else could benefit from my praise? The people. The other people. Paul instructed the, the church at Colossae. Colossae. Colossians 3 and 16. Look at what he said there. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing who? One another. So who's it for? Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. So there again, so we're teaching one another, we're admonishing one another, right? So according to these instructions, Paul expects us to teach and admonish each other through our praise to God. That's real similar to what he taught over in Ephesians 5, verse 17 through 19. He begins over there, he begins with to one another in Psalms and hymns. So we're praising God here for the secondary, the beneficiary of our praise and it is to experience, to experience our praise because through our praise, people are what? They're taught, they're encouraged, and they can even be corrected doesn't have to necessarily be in a setting. You might think correction takes place, but they can be corrected that way as well. If they're doing things wrong, may not know they're doing something wrong, but they can be corrected by you teaching them the right way to be doing it. So praising God is something to which we the church, we the church should be devoted to because of how the outcome of it can be. So my praise, my praise is designed to benefit God and others. And neither of them really mentioned me. Neither of them mentioned myself. Do you know why? Do you know why? Because praising God is not about me. It's not about me, is it? It's about Him. It's about Him. When it comes to praising God, my mindset should not be, what can I get out of it? I've had many conversations with people, and you know what I often hear? I like it. I like it. 
I like it that way. Well, sometimes we have to look and say, well, is that a tradition that we've just picked up and not, nothing unscriptural about it? Or maybe maybe there's been some error being taught and, and I like it just because it's, it's comfortable and maybe it, it makes me feel better, I think. Well, God's already been very clear. We don't know what's best for us, right? He tells us that. Man doesn't know what's best for his own self, right? God tells us this. So what can I put into this that's something I need to be thinking about because I should recognize that the primary beneficiary of this is not myself. It's to help others and to praise Him. Maybe, maybe, as, as thinking about this, preparing this, maybe this was the most evident, maybe the most evident place this could be seen was at midnight. I've already had... A great supper. So if you all want to stay till midnight and, and mimic the first century church, well, hopefully no one brought any stones. Maybe, while I'm thinking about this, Paul and Silas, they weren't in the best location at midnight. So you know, they, weren't, they weren't standing here at the pulpit, pulpit preaching the Gospel. They were, however, doing something else that was very beneficial. It benefited all of those around them and obviously God as well. Because what were they doing? You know in Acts chapter 16 the scene all too well of where Paul and Silas were in prison and what was going on there. What happened to be happy? They were praying and singing hymns to God, right? And I'm pretty confident they weren't saying, Lord, why did you stick me in this cell? That's not really how he would be happy to be praised, right? They were singing things that were very beneficial to his ears, right? And obviously to the others. And then what happened in verse 26 of Acts 16? This miraculous earthquake took place and all the chains come fall off. Can you just imagine being in the jail down here and all the doors opening up? Oh. You know what the jailer thought, right? I'm going to die. That's what he thought, right? What did the jailer do? He, he pulls out his sword and he says, they're not going to kill me, I'm just going to kill myself. Because his life was on the line for his job. He was in charge of everyone in that jail cell. And now all the gates is open and guess what? It's midnight. And they didn't walk over to this light switch and flip it on and say, oh, you're all here. Did they? What was the jailer's assumption? They're missing. And I'm not going to go through what's about to happen. So look at verse 28. Do you think praising God wasn't beneficial that night? When Paul and Silas were singing psalms and hymns to God and God heard them. How do I know God heard them? Because an earthquake happened. You read in the Old Testament when the ground shook, often the Lord was speaking, wasn't He? Absolutely told Moses to take your shoes off of your feet because this place where you're standing is holy ground. And Moses will tell you it shook. And Peter and others will tell you it shook. These things shook and things happened. And here is this earthquake and it has shaken the ground and all the jail cells, the chains have fallen off. The jailer is here and Paul and Silas say, do not harm yourself. 
Have you ever had the conversation with someone that's wanting to commit suicide? That was a conversation. None of the prisoners escaped despite having the freedom that was readily available. I want you to think, let that sink in for just a minute. So the jailer went to Paul and Silas, and do you know what he asked in verse 30? What must I do to be saved? Basically saying, I want what you all have to offer. Right? And then shortly after that, his whole household was baptized in verse 33. And now consider for just a moment, just a moment, consider who benefited from the praise from Paul and Silas that night. Was it the one offering the praise? Or was it someone else? Who benefited the most? The Bible is a pretty basic church. You don't have to have any kind of degree to figure that out, do you? No. The, those, the jailer benefited greatly in his family and really all of the, all the people that were in the jail. They benefited and they're like, hey, these guys were singing some pretty amazing tunes evidently and the doors just all opened. Maybe they were scared to go out just because of the way it all worked out. So you're praising God here in the 21st century and, and, and we need to have the first century mindset, right? Is your praise to God, is it prioritized or is it minimized? Which is it? Is your praise to God, is it about Him or is it about you? May we all seek to be devoted to praise God the same way these original Christians were praising God. Praising God, this is a major overarching theme in our Bible and that's the longest introduction I believe I've ever given. So when we think about that word praise, I want you to think about something. Prayer should contain praise. Okay? How do I, and something else about prayer. We're told to do what? Pray without ceasing, right? Everyone knows that short verse. Pray without ceasing. You have that memorized. You all came here tonight as Bible scholars because I know you knew that verse. You don't even have to look it up. You can probably tell me where it's located, can't you? I'm going to see some heads nod, so I'm just wrong. Okay. So the Bible tells us to pray without ceasing. The Bible tells us to praise Him. So if we pray without ceasing, then what else has to be going on? We're praising Him in our prayer, right? So praise, I said that's the overarching theme of the Scripture here. Okay, so praising God is the most often repeated command in the Scripture. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 15. That word praise that, that I am privileged to tackle this evening, about 530 something times in the Bible, that's a lot. Which direction do you all want to go? Which direction do you all want to go? 534 times in the Bible, it's mentioned. 543 times it's mentioned in the scriptures. The command, whether it be a command or a declarative statement. It, it, it appears at least 250 times as a command. And then there's other statements that's, that's kind of tied along with it, like bless the Lord. And, and, all, and that's also frequently mentioned with that word praise. So just in our text praising God, just in some text here tonight, praising God can appear up to at least 13 times. If you were to turn to Psalm 145, 
13 times in those verses that I told you to take note of. The first verse in Psalm 145, and you know, and I could have chosen nearly any Bible verse in the Psalms. Because all throughout, you'll find the word praise. All throughout. And you know David had his hand involved in many of, of, those, of those writings. 145 in verse 1, the psalmist says, I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. Verse 2, great is the Lord and highly to be praised. And His greatness is unsearchable. Unsearchable. Think about that word of how great He is. You can put a word in Google and it'll find you a, a definition and a bunch of bad things you probably don't need to read as well. But you can put it in and it'll almost always find something. But here, God's greatness is unsearchable. It has no end. It can't be found. He's just that great. God included this in the Scriptures. Why? To teach us. Not to just be a history lesson, but to teach us the goodness of, his, of that praise. And the prophets, the prophets command everyone and everything to praise God everywhere and at all times. Just like pray without ceasing. So that theme there is, is praiseworthiness of God, of God, and it is woven all throughout our scriptures. And we could read so many. So many. Exodus 15, awesome in praise. First Chronicles 16, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Jeremiah chapter 20, sing to the Lord, praise the Lord. You see the theme going. And then there's so many references in the Psalms. We can't look at all of them. We didn't come here tonight to do that. But in 146, praise the Lord. In 147, praise the Lord. In 135, praise the Lord. Are you picking up a pattern? Are you picking up a pattern? If you want your child to do something, do you just tell them once? No. If you're that lucky. No, that's not even... I shouldn't even added that. <laughs> maybe, maybe when they're adult children, and then you're probably still not that lucky. No, you did not just tell them once, though, right? And I'm not saying anybody's children are bad children. I'm just saying if you're wanting to make a point with them, if you're wanting to teach them something, if you're wanting to make sure they understand something, you're not just going to do it once, are you? If you're going to have brain surgery, you're going to research that physician and, and he says, you're my first patient. Ah, well, let me check somewhere else for some other reviews because I want someone that's really like seasoned and have accomplished about 50 successfully. That makes me think of the, the gentleman that put me to sleep for my surgery. He told me he had knocked out 100,000. I said, I'm interested in the waking up. <laughs> I'm not really interested in how many you've put to sleep. I want to know how many you've woken. So I'm telling you that because so many times in the Bible we can read these words. What does great praise mean to you? How often do you praise God? And I'm not saying you do not. I just want you to think about that a little deeper than just scratching the surface. Do you just voice or think the words? 
Or are they really deep, heartfelt words? Do, do you get in a rut? And I'm going to say, probably all of us are, have been somewhat guilty of this. And I'll say it's a rut. I'm not saying it's a bad rut. But I'm just, I'm just throwing this thought provoker out there. Do you get in a rut and say the same thing the same way every time? I catch myself doing it and it like almost aggravates me because I've already spoken it and I'm like, I said that the other day or whatever. When I'm referring to like prayer and different types of phrase, do you say the same exact thing or are they really heartfelt meanings? After a thousand of your prayers, do your prayers, do they still flow from your heart? That's what God wants. He wants the, the prayers and the praise. He wants that all flowing from His heart. So our praise, number two thing here, our praise should be glad praise. And what, I'm, what I mean, it should be an expression of joy. And it's not going to always be, but we should have that mindset to be glad for what we're praising God for, right? So, And, and of those who have been redeemed from that eternal misery, you might say, away from God, more than any others, we Christians should be... Uh, Praising God in a glad manner, a glad style. Because our life should be characterized by a life of joy. The Apostle Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 8. He would write during a time of persecution. Understand how he's writing. You know, sometimes we read, we read through a Bible verse and, and maybe it touches us pretty thoroughly. But then when you dig closer into that context... And you find out he's writing this while he's being persecuted. And he says this in verse 8, And though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not see Him now, but you believe in Him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressibly and full of glory. He was being persecuted when he wrote those words. And, and while the Apostle Paul, you know he spent the majority of his life in prison, and he was writing while in prison, 1 Thessalonians 5 and 16, where he said rejoice, that short verse, and in Philippians 4 and verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. He was in jail writing that. And that brings us, and if you read through Psalm 111, those first four verses, you're going to find that, that what is written there in Psalm 111, in those first short four verses, run almost parallel to Acts chapter 3. Is that my bad? Awesome. Okay, so we're not reading Psalm 411. Y'all note that and turn to Acts chapter 3 because I'm really interested in Acts chapter 3. So starting in verse 1 of Acts 3, now Peter and John went up together, so it's the two of them. That's a normal. These two ran together often. You know, they were in the inner circle. They ran up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, and that's the ninth hour. So you understand what time of day it was. That's 3 o'clock because their day started at 6, okay? David went as far to write morning, noon, and after, morning, noon, and night. That's... That's three, uh, six, and, and three. Nine. Y'all do the math. And a, and a certain man, let's get back to the text. Not math, we're not teaching math tonight. Sorry. A certain man, lame from his mother's womb, and over in chapter four, we'll tell you he's about 40 years old. So he's lame from his mother's womb. Now understand this. 
We have great provisions today, don't we? You guys have a bus out here that is even handicap accessible, right? And, and we are blessed in this country today with things like wheelchairs and, and walkers and pretty much whatever kind of means uh, medically you can imagine to help someone who can't walk. They can get around almost by themselves, really, today, right? Y'all understand that. This day and age, they could not. They didn't have any of those things. So someone had to carry him wherever they were. He couldn't walk. I want you to see that. He laid here by the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask for alms. So these people, these lame people, would often go to the places where a lot of folks would be visiting with. That's a good place to try to get a little bit of help, right? Okay. So who seen Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked Peter and John for some alms. And look at verse 4. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. Now understand this. This person's lame, right? I don't know exactly how tall Peter and John were. But let's say they're my height. The lame man would have been about looking at his knee, at their knees. He's sitting on the ground. He's not in a wheelchair or walker or chair or nothing. So he's about knee high. That should make more sense to you when, you're, when your Bible says, Peter said, look at us. Give me some eye contact. Don't we like eye contact? You're talking to someone, do you like eye contact? I'm not talking about texting. Yes. Most of us enjoy eye contact when we're having a conversation. Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. And look at what Peter said. Silver and gold I do not have. I don't have any money. But what I do have to give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now, really what Peter said there is, I do have eternity to give you. Some translations translate it that way. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Okay. So you know they just healed him, okay? But wait just a minute. He took him by the right hand and he lifted him up. And what happened? Look at the text. Verse 7 says, immediately, this gentleman's in his 40-ish, his feet and ankle bones received strength. You ever had a foot go to sleep? Leg go to sleep? Ever get a cramp? No, I'm not alone. So he, look at verse 8, leaping up. He didn't just get up like I'm partially healed. I'm sore. I am aching. He leaping up stood and walked and entered the temple with them. He was walking. He was leaping. And he was doing what does your verse say? Praising God. And all the people saw him walking and leaping and praising God. You know how a kid acts at Christmas? You're in there trying to sleep, right? Come on. Come on, Mom and Dad. Come on. I've never been to... I have been to Disneyland, not Disney World. Just so excited outside the gate, you're grabbing your parents' arm going, Come on, let's go! That's the way this 40-year-old man was acting. He was excited. He could walk and he went in and he couldn't wait to tell everyone about it. That's a parallel to Psalm 111. Whether we do this in a group, whether we do this individually, however we do it, David had the attitude of one who loved God and we need to have that attitude as well. Is that my final bell? Man. 
we'll have to stop there. Thank you for your time this evening. I want you to look at verse 18. Matthew 15, verse 18. Words. I want you to think about words this evening. Probably I want you to really think about them the rest of this week, the rest of your life. Words are a big deal. You ever want something that's a big deal? You have it. You have it in, in your own ability. Your words. According to a research conducted, and we're not going to say male and female who, who did more on their words, but you speak on an average of about 16,000 words per day. 16,000 words per day on an average, I said. They've done the studies. I wasn't involved in the study, and I don't know who all they studied. So that's roughly about 5.8 million words spoken annually. That's about 400 billion words spoken roughly in your lifetime. 400 billion. So I'm telling you all that to say this. That's a lot of words. And that number, and that number did not include the text message, the emails, the typos, or the social media posts. It didn't include that. That's just actual verbal words that you speak. So I want you to think about this. Are words a big deal? Are words a big deal? Jesus said, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. He is very concerned about what comes out of here. He gave you one of these and two of these, right? Most of us. Anyways, I want you to think from there on, he goes over into Luke's account in Luke chapter 6, in verse 45, he said, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. We can understand that. That makes really good sense and it's very easy to understand what Jesus just said there. And then He said this, And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. What did He just say? For out of the abundance of his heart, which is in both persons, the good person and the evil person, that's what they speak. Jesus indicated just then, if you didn't catch it, the source of your words. Do you want to know where your words come from? I didn't mean to say that. Your heart did. You thought it. Or you wouldn't have said it, right? The words of His mouth and the meditation of His heart, they need to be acceptable in God's sight. And I want you to turn from there. And, and, and He also said in Mark chapter 12 and verse 30, love the Lord your God with what? All your heart. So that's telling you something about your heart. That's saying a whole lot about your words. I really want to take you to James. James is one of those writers that really cuts us to the heart, isn't he? James chapter 1 and verse 26, in particular, James makes this very bold declaration. He said, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his own tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Wait a minute. Did you read that? Did you hear that? If he does not bridle his own tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. James said this, your religion is worthless if you do not control your tongue. Words 
are a big deal. Words are a big deal. How many of you have heard somebody say something and you thought to yourself, that doesn't sound like a Christian? Maybe you've said the same to yourself. Words are a big deal. So in other words, here's the litmus test. This is the test of our spirituality, right? And not so much as to whether or not we attend services regularly, which we want you to do. But it's not so much whether we attend services regularly or whether we participate in evangelistic efforts, which we do want you to do. But go back and read what James said again. If you do not control your tongue, your religion is worthless. Words are a big deal. Christians, James tells us this because he loves us. James tells us this because he wants each and every one of us in heaven. How do I know? You say, well, you don't know James. I can read. So can you. And when you, when you read through those chapters, I'm going to tell you what's written all over. I want you in heaven. That's what James is telling you. We can do better and we can get to heaven together because we're here to encourage one another. We're here to praise God. You learned that tonight, right? Check that off your list. But ultimately, we need to be controlling our words because our words are powerful. You've heard that sticks and stones can break your bones, but words will never hurt you. That's a lie. Don't leave here tonight believing that. That's a lie. Words can hurt you. They can cut you to the heart. They can turn someone away from becoming a Christian and entering the child, being a child of God because words can be hurtful. And James says that if we don't control them, what good is our religion? Well, here's the thing, Christians. James wants us in heaven. And I do too. So if you have a need right here tonight, whatever that need is, maybe you've never put on Christ and, and allowed Him to add you to His church, which we read about earlier this evening in Acts chapter 2. Why would you not want to do that right now tonight? The water is ready. The eldership here, they're ready to, to listen to you, to, to hear your problems or to listen to your confession of your faith. We're here for that to help you because we love you just like these writers that we've read about here tonight love you. And if they want you to heaven, I can assure you I want you in heaven. Whatever we have to do to get you there. Being baptized into Christ is part of His plan. Don't let someone tell you it's not because that book preaches it. It's ringing wet if we twist on it. It preaches that you have to be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. And why would you want getting a little wet to stop you? That's not what happens when you get in that water. You come in contact with the blood of Christ and it's His blood, the one blood that went to the cross for each and every one of us in this room that's paying for your sins. You have a debt that is paid 100%. All you have to do is accept it. Not accept it in your heart. It does have to go into your heart. But you have to take part of what He says. Maybe you've accomplished that. Maybe you just need prayers of the church. Whatever your need is, we're here for you tonight while we stand here and see.